Hello and welcome to Parley, the Hindu's weekly podcast. My name is Abhinay Lakshman and I'll be your host for this episode. The Supreme Court's five-judge constitution bench judgment last week upholding the economically weaker section reservations brought in by the Narendra Modi government in 2019 has thrown the spotlight once again on the issue of reservations who gets to benefit from it and its purpose while the bench unanimously agreed that opening up a new classification based on economic criteria was justified it was split 3 to 2 on whether excluding SC ST and OBC groups from this classification violated the constitution's equality code Regardless, the judgment has paved the way for redefining what reservation is and its purpose. Joining us for today's discussion are eminent scholar Professor Satish Deshpande and constitutional law expert Dr. Orgo Sengupta. Should reservation be used as a means to alleviate economic backwardness? Should reservation be a means to address poverty? Professor Deshpande. No, I don't think they should. because reservations are a very strong measure because they result in quotas which means you take away you set aside a certain number of seats or a certain number of opportunities for a particular group and make them unavailable to everyone else no matter what their situation so this this kind of a setting aside a temporary or a conscious setting aside of the principle of equality requires a strong justification and that justification is provided by various forms of social discrimination which are permanent because they are tied to indelible or permanent social identities and if those forms of discrimination are allowed to continue unchecked we will never have equality and we will always have a strongly unequal society according to various social criteria like like caste that is why reservation should be saved for the uh, most intractable forms of discrimination and not for more transient uh, and more easily treatable problems like those uh, originating from economic reasons right thank you professor deshpande uh, dr sengupta what are your thoughts on this uh, should reservation be used to address poverty in society first of all uh, abhinay i think it's a it's a question that's better asked to an economist because uh, reservation obviously is one tool that is available to any government to alleviate different kinds of backwardness or different kinds of discrimination uh, that have been faced by certain individuals or groups so is it a legitimate tool to use certainly it's a legitimate tool to use second can is it a legitimate tool to use in cases of economic backwardness i think in order to answer this question first we have to understand that reservations is not are as the supreme court has held on a number of occasions is not an exception to the rule of equality but required by the principle of substantive equality so i think it's very important to note the distinction that while it may seem offensive because obviously you are setting aside a certain number of seats which are now not for open competition it is required by the principle of equality to try and ensure a level playing field now the question is a level playing field for whom and here it is in my view it is a decision for elected governments to take that 
is do we want to use this fairly blunt tool of reservation in order to alleviate poverty, in order to ensure that there is greater integration of persons who have disability or a range of other factors over time? Uh, or do we want to limit it to caste-based grounds? So my view is that at the time of the Constitution, it was felt that the framing of the Constitution, it was felt that uh, reservations were needed in a particular context, which is social and educational backwardness. It has been 70 years, and now we see reservations of different kinds, uh, and uh, it's open to a democratically elected government to introduce a principle of reservation for grounds other than caste as well. Uh, right, I understand. So the obvious next question would be, given that for the longest of times, reservation has been used as a means to ensure equal representation, the EWS judgment of November 7 of the Supreme Court, what does this mean for what justifies reservation? And what does this mean to the, uh, for the argument that reservation is to ensure representations? This judgment possibly means, possibly opens up the uh, avenue of reservation for other, uh, to address other issues as well. So what do you think about that, Professor Deshpande? I'm saying that the government's decision itself is very easy to understand. There's nothing complicated about it. It is a straightforward electoral issue. There is a particular constituency that feels that it should be getting its share of reservation, which is the uh, upper caste, the Hindu upper caste constituency, essentially, which is the electorally, uh, electorally relevant prize that is being, in a sense, fought for. And as we know, the, the intention to do this extends across particular, uh, across ideologies, across particular governments, as the Congress uh, government itself wanted to introduce this earlier. So the intentions of governments which have to win elections are uh, political parties which have to win elections are easy to understand. The question is, how does this square with the constitutional principles that we had set for ourselves? Uh, that is really uh, that is really the question, and I think we are going into all of these contortions today to find uh, circuitous ways of trying to explain or the logic of what is happening, because we cannot name caste openly, and despite the fact that it is true that later decisions of the Supreme Court have argued that reservations are required for equality rather than being an exception to equality, the common sense understanding has always been that these are. Uh, exceptions, that caste is recognized only as an exception and the implicit norm has been one of castelessness. And now this decision, in a sense, forces us to rethink uh, whether that is true anymore. Uh, now that without be it being named as such, there is now a reservation for the upper caste. And this will certainly change the ideological climate and perhaps the common sense around questions of reservation and their links to caste. Uh, right. Thank you, Professor Deshpande. Uh, Dr. Sengupta, so given that now the judgment has established an economic criteria can be made for a classification to avail reservation, uh, what does this mean uh, in your uh, understanding of for reservations that are given as a means to ensure representation? For instance, uh, this question will go to both of you eventually. Can reservation be provided to a group of individuals or a class of individuals without proof of their inadequate representation. For instance, uh, the SCST OBC reservations were introduced with proof that they are not adequately represented and the EWS, uh, EWS quota being introduced without uh, the same burden of proof for inadequate representation. 
Yeah, so I think that I, I, I'd like to make three points here because I think there's a number of uh, different issues there that are getting intertwined. First, I agree with what Professor Deshpande has said. There is a clear political play in this and uh, every political party wants a share in the pie of those those vote banks which have not received reservation yet and who want to share in this. We've been seeing that it happened earlier with upper castes in Maharashtra, as in the Marathas wanted reservation, as in we see it quite often with Jats demanding reservation. So there is a large group of people uh, whose votes are obviously the clear target for reservation on economic grounds. So uh, to that extent, I agree. But there are three facts that I'd like to place on record, uh, some of which are actually missing from the public discourse. First is the fact that reservation now on economic criteria has been made available to anybody who meets that criteria. We can come to that in a bit. As long as they don't have reservation on the basis of social and educational backwardness. Now, in the public discourse, because of the politics of it, this has been seen as a forward caste reservation. But I think it's imperative to point out that this reservation, strictly speaking, if we look at the constitutional text, is available to poor Muslims, poor Christians and poor religious minorities as well. Now, it has not suited either side of the debate to talk about this uh, for their own reasons. But I think it's important to point out that every time we say that it is a forward caste reservation, it is also available to poor Muslims, poor Christians. Christians and poor religious minorities, number one. Number two, to your question on representation, I think there's a fundamental mistake that you're making in asking this question, which is that we must realize that what has happened here is a constitution amendment. It has not been brought in under Article 16.4 of the Constitution, which requires proof of inadequacy of representation in government services. If it, requir- if it was brought under that article and it was a government order that was made under that article, it would certainly have failed the test of constitutional scrutiny. But what has happened here is that Two new provisions have been inserted in the Constitution, 15.6 and 16.6, that are now specifically authorizing reservation based on economic criteria, something that all the judges have upheld. So is there a burden of proof that you have to show inadequacy of representation? No. It is something that is, as I've said in my answer to the first question, this is the constitution that is being amended. Uh, it requires a, it requires majority of a two thirds majority in parliament. And it is something that is, whether we like it or not, I mean, we may like some amendments, we may not like other amendments, but it is certainly democratically legitimate for governments and parliaments to do. And that's the, that's the second point. And the third point, I think, which is, which is, which is related to that is that what has happened now is that under the constitutional amendment, all judges have said that bringing in economic criteria in the constitution does not violate the basic structure of the constitution. And I think it's very imperative to understand that the previous judgments of the Supreme Court were in the context of social and educational backwardness. In the context of social and educational backwardness, it was well held that economic criteria alone cannot be used because that was not the original understanding of the constitution. But 
now the constitution has changed and the interpretation on which all the judges have said the same thing is that it is open for the constitution to be amended so that reservations are provided on the ground of economic criteria allow, alone without having to prove inadequacy of representation, without having to prove any other form of social and educational backwardness and without having to comply with the 50% quota which was held in the context of socially and educational backwardness in the Indra Sani case. So I think we need to realize, as as has been said by a, in, a, in a famous saying, that it is after all the constitution that we are expounding in this case, and we are not dealing with ordinary law, let alone executive notification. Right, I understand. Uh, Professor Deshpande, so what do you think this means? The fact that the Supreme Court has now held that a classification can be opened up that does not require proof of inadequate representation or proof of social or economic backwardness, what does this mean in the larger context? I think it means that essentially we are heading towards some form of a repeat or a reprisal of the what was called the communal geo. You know, there was an order, government order in colonial Madras presidency, which shared out uh, jobs and uh, seats in educational institutions between different communities uh, as per an agreed upon political formula. So this judgment does uh, two things. One, it uh, in a sense, uh, opens the door towards, uh, as, as it does, um, purely economic, uh, solely economic criteria for, and, and therefore takes away the need to provide any other criteria. And it also takes away, explicitly sets aside the 50% um, limit that had the Supreme Court itself had earlier uh, introduced. So it opens the door for other communities to, uh, to ask for more. And finally, it makes it clear that reservation is no longer a special tool meant to address discrimination, but it can uh, it can be used to address um, all forms of backwardness, disadvantage, and so on. Right. Uh, now that since both of you have mentioned the 50% cap uh, aspect of the judgment, so uh, as far as my understanding is, the, the cap has been uh, said, the Supreme Court judgment said that the cap is inflexible. Now, my point is obviously uh, Jharkhand has recently passed a bill that has raised their quota from the already above 50% to 77% in state positions. There are multiple other states who are trying to do this. So, uh, Professor Deshpande, as you said, this does open up room for them. Uh, Dr. Sengupta, what is your thoughts on this? Does the judgment specifically allow the 50% uh, cap to be breached for the SCST OBC quota as so many other states are looking to do right now? First of all, as a lawyer, as there is, given the fact that this judgment on the 50% rule, there was only the majority judge, Justice Dinesh Maheshwari, as in who has said that the 50% rule is in the context of social and educational backwardness, uh, which is in 15.4 and 16.4 of the Constitution. So it does not apply to reservation based on economic criteria. But this doesn't mean that it doesn't apply to social and educational backwardness itself. So I think there is a gray area there as to whether the 50% rule, because it was a nine-judge bench of the Supreme Court in Indra Sani, which did hold that 50% is a cap on social and education reservation based on social and educational backwardness. The Jharkhand case will, of course, be tested. But my sense is that the that for social and educational backwardness, there will be a case that the 50% rule still applies. But as Professor Deshpande rightly said, the larger political implication of this is the fact 
that there will be more demands for reservation for the, from different kinds of communities, groups, or others who feel disadvantaged. Now, whether that is permissible or not, we will have to see. Because again, I come back to the same point. What has been accepted today is that there are two tracks for reservation in this country. One is social and educational backwardness, which is caste plus grounds, and one is economic criteria. Other grounds have so far not been accepted. But as Professor Deshpande rightly said, as in this opens up the door to other demands being made. Uh, and, and I do think that we are heading to a situation where we will have plenty more of reservation or demands being made for reservation, some of which will be accepted and some of which won't, depending on how the politics plays out. Right. Thank you, Dr. Sangupta. Okay, so coming back to the next question, the larger split where the Supreme Court actually split was the fact that a separate classification is being created and certain groups are being excluded from that classification. So, uh, I mean, these groups are being excluded from that classification despite qualifying for the economic criteria that the classification requires. So, Professor Deshpande, what are your thoughts on this? To what extent this affects the principle of equality? And, uh, you know, what's the way ahead? Like how at, at which uh, this exclusion, will it lead to other similar exclusions in your understanding? Uh, yes, uh, I think it will. Again, uh, the political intent here is um, very clear. There was a need to signal uh, an effort on the part of the government to address a particular caste group. Uh, even though the fig leaf of a residual category is used, which does not mention the upper caste specifically. But anyone who knows anything about politics knows that it is the idea that this was done for the um, Muslim upper caste and for Christian upper caste is quite laughable. Uh, so why it is done is quite clear. So what this does is that it delinks reservation in particular from the whole question of social justice. Because now everybody has their uh, has reservation. There's nothing differential being done for those groups that were discriminated against. And this is uh, going to be, I think, a major issue because the very problem of discrimination has been in our context that it has never been explicitly addressed. We have always skirted around it. And we have, uh, since the Constituent Assembly onwards, discrimination has been turned into or has been sidetracked into or made milder by calling it backwardness. And the language of backwardness has dominated the reservation discourse, whereas what it is really meant to address is various forms of discrimination. Now, discrimination involves a zero-sum sort of situation where there has to be a discriminator and a person discriminated against or a group discriminated against, whereas the language of backwardness offers a more anonymous uh, sort of uh, where there are victims without there being any perpetrators, uh, you know, where backwardness is sort of like an act of God. And therefore, there is no need to have any differential policies. In a sense, uh, our entire development programs uh, since independence were supposed to be uh, on economic grounds. And look at what has happened. It has reproduced, uh, not only reproduced, but deepened our inequalities uh, based on caste, among other things. So, we needed programs that tried to redress 
the effects of uh, discrimination, not treat all subjects even-handedly, at least under the rubric of the anti-discrimination programs. And now we don't have anything uh, for anti-discrimination. The last vestiges of that we have are the laws against um, caste atrocities. And perhaps those two are going to be on the firing line next. So I think this is a very consequential thing for the social justice discourse. Uh, we all know that uh, inequalities exist uh, in practice everywhere and have existed in our country as well. What was important was our uh, new commitment since the constitution to a future world of equality. And now that commitment, I think, uh, it can be seriously questioned. Right. Uh, Dr. Sengupta, in your understanding, what does the exclusion of SCST OBC groups uh, from this new classification of economic backwardness, uh, to what extent does it affect uh, the equality code of the constitution? I think there are two ways to answer this question. First, I think it's, uh, I'll answer it as a lawyer. I think that uh, the only way in which a constitutional amendment, I mean, not I think, but the only way in which a constitutional amendment can be struck down is if it violates the basic structure of the constitution. That itself is a doctrine of some dubious origins, but uh, given that it exists, the fact is that there is certainly a difference that is made, a distinction that is made in the exclusion of those who have had access to reservation from accessing this new form of reservation. Now, does that impinge upon equality? Sure, it does. As in there is certainly a, a denial. Is that impinging of such an extent that the constitution collapses, which is the standard that was used in Keshwaran Bharati to say that it's a basic structure violation, or the, or the constitution itself is effaced? And the answer to that question is no, in my view. And there are two reasons for it. First, as a matter of law, while I completely agree with Professor Deshpande that this is not meant for upper caste Muslims or upper caste Christians, the fact is that we can't laugh it away as a matter of law because the intentions of parliament and politics don't matter as much when we are looking at a constitutional amendment. We have to look at the text of the constitution. And if we look at the text of the constitution, it is, as he also said, it is, it is neutral on the face of it. So first, it is not available to forward castes alone. The second is the fact that this is an additional track that has been opened up. If hypothetically this EWS operated like a creamy layer exclusion or as a horizontal category across, then certainly there could have been a claim that this is impinging on someone else's rights. But it is an additional track that has opened up. And so to say, and, and we can't say in our constitutional discourse that anyone has a right to reservation. As this is why the constitution provisions are also framed in such a manner that they authorize the state to make any provision in which is a positive discriminatory provision. So the second point is that this is an additional track that has opened up. And so it does not violate the equality code. And the third, which is exactly to the politics that, that we've been discussing, the fact is that the reason as to why it's available to persons who have had, that is not available to persons who have had access to reservation before, is because there is a clear signal that we that the pie is now being expanded. And that, as I said, you may agree with that politics or you may disagree with that politics. 
and as professor deshpande says as an it's it's a, it's a very consequentialist moment in our social justice discourse because it is changing the nature of reservations in the country there is no doubt about that that the original understanding of backwardness in the constitution in terms of social and educational backwardness is now changing and the fact is that it is a question of politics it is not a question of law to say that it is discriminatory as the dissenting judges have said that you are now excluding the scst obcs the point is that it is open to governments whether we like it or not to say that someone will have one bite of the cherry or two bites of the cherry or and it, when we cannot say that anyone has a right to have more than two bites of the cherry so i think as a question of law it is perfectly open for the government to do what it has done as far as the question of politics is concerned this has changed the way in which we see reservation and and i think the politics will play out in different ways both in terms of upper caste politics and greater demands for reservation from those who don't have it uh, as well as politics from those who are from socially and educationally backward groups and their representatives and uh, and how the that, that politics has worked so far uh, right dr sanjeev i just had one more question the fact that you mentioned this is a separate category being opened up uh, a different avenue that's being opened up and exclusion in that might be allowed uh, for uh, my question uh, forgive my ignorance my question would be then that uh, there are several forms of reservation for example reservation for persons with disabilities who are also able to uh, uh, avail benefits of reservations as an sc person if that is their identity so at uh, does this judgment have any effect on the kind of double benefits that these reservations allow for see there are two kinds of reservations right there are verticals and there are horizontals the the type of category that you talked about as in which is persons with disabilities is a horizontal category that works across so in each of these quotas there is a certain quota that is left for persons with disabilities this is another vertical category that has been opened up which is 50% plus 10% that is now available on a different ground so it doesn't affect that except what will happen is that even within this ews category as in there will be this uh, horizontal category of uh, persons with disability getting reservation right i understand uh, thank you so much professor deshpande thank you so much dr sangupta uh, i would like to wrap it up with that over here and uh, i really really appreciate the time you've taken out thanks once again sir so much for this thank you thank you